online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned for Open Book. Welcome to the Poet to Poet series. I'm your host, Nina Serrano. My guest today is Lenore Weiss. Lenore is no stranger to open books. She's brought us her poetry, but today she's bringing her poetry and excerpts from her new novel. Welcome, Lenore, to Poet to Poet. Thank you, Nina. It's a great pleasure to be here. Well, you've been away for quite a while. You've been living in Louisiana and experiencing the country in a different way. Do you have any comment on that? Well, it certainly is an adventure, uh, very different from the Bay Area. In some ways, it puts the Bay Area in a much clearer perspective, and it also allows me to learn a lot about a different region of the country and what some of the issues and history are. And is that in any of your poetries? It's starting to affect what you write? Oh, absolutely. The landscape is so different down there. Water plays a huge role because Louisiana is so flat and experiencing the bayous and the beauty of the bayous and also a lot of the environmental issues because uh, California has many more environmental controls in place, whereas Louisiana still is not there. And I know your new novel concerns that issue. Yes, it does. The novel is called Pulp into Paper. And when I first arrived in Louisiana, one of the things that I immediately noticed was the air quality. I'd wake up and just smell terrible things. But it wasn't until I began to know some of the people in Crossett, Arkansas, which is near where I was living in northeastern Louisiana, and finding out the level of pollution that is occurring as a result of the paper mill process. And this is this particular mill is owned by the Koch brothers, who are very notorious for their non-environmental consciousness. And that's the theme of your book. It's around the pulp paper. Yes, and the people who are involved in that. It's about pollution and collusion. Uh, Like everything, it's complicated because paper mills offer a lot of jobs in the area. And it's similar in a way to the whole logging industry and the tug between environmentalists and people who are working, cutting down trees. People need jobs, and that's an important part of the economy in uh, southern and northeastern Louisiana. So how has this affected any of your poems? Do you have a sample there of a poem where you feel it's impacted by your shift from north to south? So here is a poem entitled Two Places, and I wrote this when I was struggling to make a decision to move down to Louisiana. I had been to the area several times and spent weeks down there and then returned to the Bay Area. So that's reflected in this poem. Louisiana, home of a thousand family dollar stores and cotton farms planted with corn for ethanol, I think of you as a return to Oakland, report for jury duty with hundreds of others waiting to be screened for weapons, 
swiping smartphones as if they could save us. Louisiana, camouflaged in brown leaves on a breast pocket of lottery tickets and cigarettes. Another weekend I drive across the Bay Bridge, pass a coral reef that covers the hills of San Francisco. In window panes of white waves I'm lost in a place between two places where fresh produce arrives from Walmart and everyone is a po'boy at the gas station. Louisiana, my hand shimmers in your bayou, in the Wachita River, where grandmothers tell stories from a mound of earth, a bay and a cypress and the word Hosanna, how they grew apart in a well of water. Louisiana, we live in two places. just heard poet novelist Lenore Weiss reading her own poetry. I'm going down in Louisiana, baby behind the sun. Well, there you were, conflicted, but then you finally went. And then I was somewhat surprised that your first comment about it was about environmentalism, about the paper mill. As someone who is new to the area and observing what's going on, I think the environmental issues are so great. And particularly, you know, the consciousness following Katrina and the oil spill. And none of those things have really been resolved. People are, are scattered. Housing is not available. People are still living in trailers. And the paper mill and the quality of the air the water and the soil are big concerns and cross it cross it arkansas now they have the highest stroke rate in the country and i was just at a meeting of the epa in cross it where the head of the state health department was providing those figures and they were concerned as well and but it's only because of the organizing of people locally that it's brought attention to this issue and that organizing effort has been going on for a long time and that's what's engaged you, is this environmental crisis and the paper mill industry. And that's what brought you to write this novel. Oh, yes. Uh, I know someone personally who was working in the mill. And I would hear these horror stories every evening. And he was also just really had little choice as a lot of people who work in the mills. I mean, this, this was his livelihood. And the trade-off was either work and being able to put food on the table or uh, not being able to work at all. But there's a huge cancer rate up there, as there is where I'm living, which is Sterlington, Louisiana. But there isn't the same degree of pollution going on. Although the water from the Crossett Mill, the runoff is being 
downloaded into the Wachita River, which is where the water supply is where I live. So it's all interconnected. All these systems are interconnected. And I also heard a testimony from a 10-year-old girl who has terminal cancer. Young people are being affected by this. It's not just the older generation who has been working in the mills, but the older generation who many of whom are retired aren't as aren't as hesitant to speak up because their jobs are no longer on the line and they really are struggling to make this area better for the for themselves of course and particularly for the younger generation well we're eager to hear the novel i wonder if you could give us the exact title and lead us right into the story the title is Pulp into Paper, and it begins with a description. One of the characters, Brian Thurman, who is an environmental officer at this mill, which is called Rand, is pulling up, and this is what he sees. In the middle of July, the turnips were lush. They grew alongside the entrance to the plant, bright green fronds interlaced with red veins that waved in the afternoon heat like feathers of a peacock's tail. Flow gently, sweet Afton. Brian Thurman had seen dozens of peacocks in the parking lot of the zoo where he drove Jenny, his daughter, peacocks strutting like they were collecting fees. Nothing scared them except for the sound of a car's ignition. Bunkers of turnips survived in the dirt like that. They didn't care if the groundwater or the soil were polluted. Turnips hugged entrances and exits and tempted employees to pick them for the dinner table. Plants that grew in spite of everything, transforming the byproducts of a paper mill into the root of a bulbous lavender and white vegetable. And who knows, uh, maybe he should have joined the crowd and picked them. Why not? He'd never seen such tall, beautiful plants, even on a killer hot day, beckoning for someone to do a kindness and then thin them out. The plants thrived in muck, sending down roots deep into the ash and sludge of the mill's runoffs. But he also had seen deer with tumors from eating turnips, tumors as big as a softball. He pulled his Toyota Tundra into the parking lot, a lot of guys laughed at him, didn't understand why he chose to ignore nature's free bounty. They were like teenage boys who believed nothing could ever happen. They didn't see the green fronds as a warning. You just heard Lenore Weiss reading from her new novel, Paper into Pulp. What a wonderful beginning. So what happens? Well, what happens is that the employees who work at Rand Atlantic 
who are tasked with monitoring the um, emission levels discover that there are huge levels of H2S, hydrogen sulfide, which is very dangerous for people to be breathing. Although I also heard the EPA say recently at the meeting that I was talking about earlier that it really, it's just a rotten egg smell and it, it's not that dangerous. But in, in large concentrations, it affects the nervous system and it, it, it's paralyzing. It, it's very deadly. So Vernon Wolf is the head honcho of the environmental department and he has the political job of balancing the concerns of the company with the health of the employees and he's also ambitious he wants to retire and get a cushy job in the atlanta office so this next section introduces vernon and some of his concerns he also has a daughter who isn't um, that keen about dad and he doesn't have much of a warm personality, and it goes on to explain the relationship with her mother, but that's something else. So I'd be glad to read this next section. Oh, please do. You're about to hear Lenore Weiss reading from another section of Pulp into Paper. Vernon Wolfe surprised most men with his strength. He was small and olive-skinned with a collection of scars from scrapes with men twice his size. For example, an eight-inch gash on his scalp was now covered by a clipped lawn of speckled hair. And bruises on his calves looked like he might have been in a rodeo. But they were souvenirs from growing up in a rough area of East Texas. Vernon had been raised by a mother who paid the electric bill by forbidding him during the summer from turning on the air conditioning. To stay cool, he sidled up to bars and next to girls whose parents did not enforce the same restrictions. Vernon vowed one day he'd be able to turn on his air conditioning whenever he damn well pleased, which for him meant years of driving a truck listening to people tease him about being a redneck until he opted for night school. Vernon hoped that if he played his cards right, he'd be promoted to the national safety team in Atlanta. What happened to Mark? Brian had just come upstairs with the news. I need every hand I can get. Mark's gotta go, said Vernon. But he's doing a good job. He gets to work every morning a half an hour before anyone else. I can tell he's not using. Let me think about it. Vernon already had contacted Atlanta to ask them to send over some honcho to see what was going on at the mill. But he wasn't counting on Brian being so damn vigilant. In fact, the lead environment officer was starting to annoy him. Mark doesn't need to be out there. Atlanta's coming next week to look at the readings. The finishing plant may be able to use him. Why don't you ask around or, or maybe see if Dwayne can use him? Sure, Brian was his best environmental officer, but sometimes he did his job a little too well. It was important to know when to lie low. What are the H2S levels like at the back pond? Not great, but better today. That's what he wanted to hear. Transfer everyone to the back today. Come on, Brian, he thought. They worked in a damn paper mill. There was no avoiding the black liquor created from separating lignin from cellulose. Did everyone want to wipe their ass with newspaper like they did in other countries? This was the United States, for Christ's sake, where toilet and tissue paper were high-quality stuff. 
Why would you want to blow your nose into the headlines? But he knew this was an older mill where the recovery process didn't come up to snuff. Most mills burned the liquor in recovery boiler to produce energy that was constantly recycled inside a plant. But processes had not been updated. The way he saw it, someone was going to have to pay the price, and it wasn't going to be Vernon, who was a sharp cookie. He had his eye on an office job located in downtown Atlanta and wanted Brian to stop hounding him about readings. Why did everyone have to make everything so difficult? He was trying to keep it simple. The company paid enormous fines to the EPA. Wasn't that enough? Plus, if everything worked the way he wanted, after a few months, Mark would self-destruct in the finishing plant, and Judy would wise up. Maybe she'd move back home with the baby. Her boyfriend was a redneck, a loser. Vernon wanted his prospective son-in-law to be someone with polish and education, someone like a lawyer. You just heard Lenore Weiss reading from pulp into paper. Lenore, it's pretty exciting. Can you continue? Oh, okay. I'd be glad to.、Uh, so he calls his daughter Judy. Daddy, hi, sugar. Vernon answered his phone. Can I ask you a question? You can ask me anything. How come you keep messing around with me and Mark?、Mm, what are you talking about? I think you know. How's the baby? Don't. Baby me, why did you lay him off? I keep my business and personal life separate, and you should too. What the heck is that supposed to mean, honey? I wish you wouldn't use that kind of language. How do you expect Mark to support us if he's not working? We don't need him at the ponds anymore. That's all. I I can't make special accommodations because the two of you are living together. Like heck, you can't. I remember when you promoted that two-bit lunatic in the shipping department because his cousin was a member of city council. And how about that kid who missed work every Monday? You did nothing because you were screwing his mother, Judy. I know a lot more than you think. So what's it gonna be? I need to think about it. Really? Vernon decided that he'd go by her house tomorrow evening and calm her down. Bring over a present for the baby who had been named after his wife's father, Raymond. That usually worked for most people. Maybe flowers. He'd stop at Walmart. And don't come by the house. You don't care one iota about my family. And in case you're wondering, that means not one bit. Judy slammed down the phone so hard she nearly woke up the baby who was sleeping in his bassinet. She paced back and forth past the dirty dishes and the microwave, heated up a cup of coffee, and then decided to spill it out. Her father made her so mad. <laughs> Okay, it's heating up, but where's it going? 
A lot happens between that section. Uh, these are different highlights from beginning, middle, and end. So the folks from Atlanta come. They deny that anything is, is happening. They claim that it's just faulty measuring equipment, but they're proven wrong. And also, in the meantime, Judy's grandfather who her baby is named after him, who's a longtime resident. He is dying of cancer, so there's that part of the story. And different characters are moving in the direction of trying to pacify the the Rand Atlantic corporate people. They blow up a bridge so as not to give the River Watchers access. And the River Watchers are a public group who is beginning to get hip to the fact of all this pollution going on, and they're trying to document it. Towards the end, which this selection is from, the finally, because of the organizing that's being done in the community after years the EPA is coming back to this area to to see exactly what's going on and then there's a special unit that is sent out and it's headed up by this guy John Weatherall and that is what I'm going to read next okay Years ago, when he was fresh out of college, he'd landed a summer contract with the EPA, metering gas admissions and taking soil samples and sending back results to a laboratory in Little Rock, which made him feel like he had already circumvented the fate of his parents, who hated the drudgery of their jobs, the boredom, encountering egos at the end of each fiscal year who fought for control of budgets and the right to advance their own pet projects. His parents had tried to remain neutral in the fray, but more than once they had been humiliated by city council for a public works project that had been delayed, a housing development that was deemed substandard, violations that cost the city of Phoenix money. They took the blame, allowed themselves to be scapegoats for department heads, and in doing so, year after year, managed to hold on to their jobs, civil service positions that came with health benefits, sick days, vacation, and a pension, allowing his parents to give him things they never had as two black teenagers growing up in the South. John remembered his parents as young and dynamic, but the years had worn them down into brown knobs of themselves that could not be opened without great effort. They told their son that loyalty was the key to success. A younger John Weatherall was not planning to do the same thing as his parents. He knew better. Once he discovered Colorado, became an avid skier, glorying in his physical ability to move through a black and white landscape with its velvety gray shadows, cutting his own trail past snow-encrusted pine trees and speeding down a steep terrain with the wind using him as its wing. Returning from one of his ski trips, he told his parents about the EPA, how it was like the Coast Guard, different from the Army, but part of the same thing. They listened. They folded 
their hands on the kitchen table and refused to look like the children he thought they were, gazed past the thick beard that he shaved off years later, over his head and out the window to whatever was waiting for him. His father shook his hand and said, Good luck, son. His mother gave him a hug. He was moving to Albuquerque, New Mexico, a state away. He didn't mind the travel or the long hours. He was helping the environment monitored Superfund sites throughout the country where crews were doing remediation, cleaning up Army and naval base radiation and chemical spills. John cast himself as a hero in his own movie. Slowly, he moved up the EPA career ladder, recognized by his superiors and also helping them to meet their affirmative action quotas, still believing that his job meant something not only to himself, but also for others who greeted EPA teams with a parade of goodwill and dinners. Here was a group who was going to make a difference. John smiled. He wanted to believe that also. His wife was a teacher in an Albuquerque high school. I turned in those reports about radiation months ago, he'd say. Not weeks, six months ago. The readings were off the chart. But I haven't heard a single word. He extended his empty hands as if she could give him something he needed. Maybe you will. Her own mind was awash with administrators who were too beleaguered by cutbacks and rising classroom size to pay attention to the needs of children who raged every day, shouting disapproval and obscenity at their teachers. Maybe you will, she repeated. As time went on, John understood his role. He was not a hero forging a trail across a maze of bureaucracies. John had a more modest part to play, but even so, it was a part and came with its own job title and description, Air and Soil Sampler, Level 4. His role was to feed the process, interview people, collect data, observe protocol, file forms in their correct format, and move information along the chain. It didn't matter how long it took or whether anything happened. He had done what he was supposed to do. That's what the EPA wanted. Sometimes they sent him to a training class and allowed him to file an expense report. He wasn't supposed to color outside the lines. But unlike his parents, he never became disillusioned. He found a recess of satisfaction in talking with people who allowed him to see their lives, people with hands trembling and holding back tears or their eyes shooting out angry orange sparks, telling him about a baby who had died or a mother who was now crippled or a home that was worth nothing on the market. It wasn't fair. None of it was fair. They were stuck in their own hell and nobody was helping. They all asked the same question, every single last one of them, why doesn't anyone care? The only real thing he could do for them was to listen. You just heard Lenore Weiss reading from her new novel, Pulp into Paper.
behind the song. So, Lenore, how can listeners read this for themselves? I'm hoping to that the novel will be published. So currently, you know, I'm trying to do the best job I can in representing what is going on and allowing the characters to do that for me, of course. But it's not totally available yet. I think the best thing is to look for announcements at my website, which is Lenore Weiss, all one word, and that is W E I S S as in Sam dot com. So I'm just delighted to have an opportunity to give listeners an advance preview, and hopefully there will be news about the book. Well, we'll be awaiting it. Thank you so much, Lenore Weiss, for allowing us to get a sneak preview of this exciting new book, *Pulp Into Paper* by Lenore Weiss. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. It's always a great pleasure. This has been Nina Sverno with Jill Montgomery for the Poet to Poet series. Please check out my website, ninaserrano.com, to hear other programs, poems, and a listing of my upcoming events. Thanks for listening. Healing Connection invites the public to come and celebrate its 16th annual Artist Deem Exhibition, Reflections of Me and My World. Artist Deem is an art and social justice program for children and youth. The event is on Saturday, June 7th from 3 to 6 p.m. at American Steel Studios, 1960 Mandela Parkway in Oakland. This year, the event will focus on creating a space that provides an opportunity for healing and problem solving. There will be work from visual art students, a fashion show, a viewing room for the digital media films, a performance from the cultural art students and our American Steel Studio collaborating artists. For more information, call 510-652-5530 or visit our website at www.hc-oakland.org. The event is wheelchair accessible and is a benefit for attitudinal healing.